Hello, and welcome to Dice Don't Die, a Pathfinder 2nd Edition podcast. Hello, and welcome back to Dice Don't Die's Deep Dive. Tonight, we're going to be discussing everyone's favorite snoop, that mystery-solving sleuth, and all-around know-it-all detective, the investigator. That's right, folks. It's the return of Sherlock Gnomes. Absolutely not. I'm Chad, and tonight I'm talking with Beth. Hello. And David. Hey, everybody. Sarah couldn't be here, but we'll be sure to talk about goblins in her place tonight. Before we get to that, though... Uh, let's talk a little bit about some negative modifiers. Yeah, so I know normally that we talk about Pathfinder on this podcast, almost exclusively. Uh, but tonight I want to sw- switch over to a different game. I want to talk about D&D 5th Ed. And... Sorry. Oh, don't <laughs> boo, you play in a 5th Ed game. You and I both, like, stop it. <laughs> Uh, But anyway, so uh, in the beginning of October, they released an errata that removed negative modifiers from Kobold and Orcs. So Kobolds originally had a minus two modifier, and we'll put sources in description for you guys. Uh, So we had negative two modifiers on strength, and then Orcs had a negative negative two modifier in intelligence. Now, there was also the removal of a trait, and we'll, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But I kind of want to talk about, like, the reasoning behind it, and then, I don't know, kind of how we feel about it, and, and the fact that there are quite a few negative modifiers in Pathfinder. So the reason, the, the reasoning that they uh, gave uh, were essentially that the Dungeons & Dragons team and Wizards of the Coast, uh, which publishes D&D, have promised better about representation and the racist uh, backgrounds of much of their source material. So when we're talking about orcs in particular, uh, another article that will post down in this description is you know well why are orcs problematic and it it's because of their source material right that it's just kind of taking J.R.R. Tolkien's orcs as purely evil mongrel said with air quotes uh savages right and uh that's that's not a great look let's be real here And then, so as I was kind of researching this and kind of looking into it, what I want to post the question to you both is, what does a negative two intelligence modifier even look like, right? In a a world where magic exists, where these different groups of people from different planes of existence even all come together live together 
in disharmony. Like, let's not, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, but like, what does that mean? And when it comes to like physical scores, like with kobolds having a negative two to strength, what, what exactly does that mean? And, Technically, um, don't farmers, you know, just regular people in the world have like a, a score of eight? So wouldn't a negative two put them at the same level as just a regular person? So for Pathfinder 1, at least, it, it was assumed that 10 is baseline. And you'll, mm-hmm. you'll see that a lot in uh, Rule 20. Um, D20 base systems where 10 is considered the baseline. So for that, uh, it would be like, as a fighter, I am better than the average human because I, you know, fight all the time and I'm trained and blah, blah, blah. And that's why my strength score is higher. That's kind of the rationalization for it. But all of these, when we come down to it, all of them are game mechanics, right? The reason that, and, and even if, like, I would agree that this is maybe a racist reason uh, to have a negative two modifier on orcs is so that they're not the most powerful race in the game, right? And we are talking, since we're talking about D&D, we are talking about races. Um, I I do try very hard and even need to be better about using ancestries because uh, I, I think that fits a lot better but since it is D, we are going to use the uh, proper term so uh, I think that actually hold on just this might have to be cut I think d and switching to ancestries as well are they really yeah I think there's been some have talk they about yet? that huh I, have they yeah, yet? No, so I want to make sure that we get that right before we have the official word on here. Like I, I know the topic had come up in my D and D group recently that they were switching. I don't know if they have actually done it. I'm not seeing anything. Just looking, like doing a quick Google, but it keeps wanting to do DNA. Oh, there's a yeah, Polygon article. Do you search for D N D or D and D? I always search for D and D, but yeah, I never do that. Lately, it's been doing D and D. Thank you. I mean, I know it's still in the official books. It's still races, but I think they were talking about switching to ancestry. Remove racial ability penalties, but as far as I can tell, they're still okay. Then let's go with it. They're still going with races. Uh, yes, but at the same point, there is a really fun article on Polygon about uh a independent writer uh talking about using ancestry and culture instead of race. And it's an entire zine about it. Um, this is cool. Yeah, I'll probably link that in the description too, just so people have an article about it. 
we can get back to it. <laughs> yeah. Ancestry and culture is a homebrew solution. But yeah, it doesn't look like they have said, well, no, here's something from, there is uh, Tasha's new, the new Tasha book, Tasha's cauldron of everything. Mm -hmm. Maybe the stuff will be in there for it. For right now, it seems like it's safe enough to say they're still with ancestors, or they're still with races for now. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. But anyway, for now. So yeah, I just I can't even remember what I was talking about. Oh, I'm sorry. No, don't be sorry. Uh, <laughs> never. Um. Uh. Do, do they have um, like bonuses to other stats? Sort of how they balance it out with classes in in Pathfinder. You know, you know, a bonus to one and a flaw to the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the flaw is what they remove. And they don't, essentially, they don't have flaws anymore. So for that's only on orcs and kobolds. Yeah. But no, what, what, I, I didn't think any of their core races have negative traits anymore. <laughs> I'm going to take a look. You guys go ahead and keep talking. No. Uh, research. Like, I, I'm pulling up my handbook right now. I looked earlier, and I didn't see anything. Oh, that's Xanatath's guide. I don't need to have the players. There's going to be a lot of ones in this editing, David. Yeah, no, I'm not seeing any negatives. Hmm. Like, they just don't have them anymore. Yeah, there's increases. But not... You know, no, they decreases. just uh, they don't have them anymore. There's a lot less opportunity for um, increasing your scores, though, in 5e. Oh, absolutely. Like, that is something that when, when second edition Pathfinder, and this is kind of a different discussion, but when second edition Pathfinder playtest first came out, I know a lot of people were worried that it was just going to be D and D five E, and it's not. It is there. There is definitely inspiration that I think a lot of tabletop RPGs kind of pull from each other. This isn't the same game. Like you can say D and D five point five, three point five, excuse me, and Pathfinder are the same game. Mm-hmm. You can absolutely say that. And I would say that there is arguments for it. They're both both based off of the open gaming license. They're all off of the same base system. But they have enough changes where I think they revolutionized it. Pathfinder 2nd Edition isn't the same thing as D&D. No. So, now, yes, they are both tabletop RPGs. They're in the same class of things. But they're not the same thing. And so... With ability scores, I think Path or uh, D and D had an opportunity where they could make this errata for two races and sort of move on. Right? They can do this thing that is for the betterment of the people playing the game, but it's also not going to be this wide arching change. 
I think if Paizo were to decide, okay, we're taking out negative ability modifiers, it's going to be a big change, a big balancing change. Mm -hmm. But I also think that if it's something that you want to homebrew for your home group, you're like, you know, we're going to try to take out these negatives because negative intelligence, like, I played, I, I think it can be done. I played a character in a D&D game as in college where I played a character specifically with a learning disability that this character um had a low intelligence score and had uh, a mental deficit and I played that character specifically because I was interested in exploring like what that meant in a D&D game. And I tried my best to play that as respectfully sorry. I tried to play that as respectfully and with the understanding of like I am doing this not to hurt people as possible. I think mm. that's something that you can do, you know, when you talk to the people around you. You know, it was just me, my sister, and my husband playing this game. So, like, we were able to explore those things while being respectful as possible. I think that that's something you can explore of, you know what, everybody? We're going to take away negative modifiers. We're going to see how this plays out. We're going to balance it the best way that we can. Maybe take away one of the bonuses. Because that's, I mean, that's how they would do it. When you look at some of the ancestries and pathfinder 2 that don't have negatives it's because they only have they have a free and one ability modifier so that's how they do it but i think that that would be a lot of errata to publish i don't know it is very interesting to think about especially as you know i think as people we're all trying to look at everyday things and say, okay, what's, what is behind this? What is the meaning behind this? Why do I say this this way? And could it perhaps be done better to, one, be more respectful of other peoples, of other cultures, and also to just, better reflect who we are. I don't know. It's kind of a, a deep discussion to get into right at the beginning of our episode, but <laughs> I found it to be really interesting. And the idea that you maybe have cultures that exemplify intelligence more, like book intelligence is more important to us, than say strength or like there are there is wisdom passed along the generations that is more important to us than book knowledge like saying that you get a bonus because your culture your ancestry is known for this thing that's one thing but to say that you get a negative from it that's a bit different i feel even in game mechanics 
Because the negative is the only way that you're going to get below the baseline of 10. So, anything else? My only other thought is, and you had kind of touched on this with uh, wisdom versus intelligence, is that, you know, maybe you, you could have, the, you could still have that modifier in there, but in, in instead of being, you know, smart, smart like a, I don't know, human or an elf who has all this book knowledge, you, you have this wisdom passed down, so you know all the same things. You just know them in a different manner. Maybe you know them through yeah. a bit more of, you know, what, what others might call uh, superstitious ways. But you still come across the same knowledge. And then uh, sort of the same thing with the kobolds. Maybe, maybe they're not as strong, but then they just favor dexterity over strength, which is totally fine, totally valid. And, and, and even... Um, you know, the 5e system makes that a lot more effective. Yeah, absolutely. I think that when it comes down to it, the more that we think about the origins of tabletop role-playing games and the things that we can change for the better, the better off as a group of people we're going to be as hobbyists right? Like, we all love these games. Let's work to make them as best that they can be and take away these artifacts of a racist society. But now I'm getting all too political, guys. Okay. <laughs> That's never that happened on this podcast before. Never. Absolutely never. Oh, guys, I do want to give a slight update. Speaking, speaking of holding those around you accountable, uh, Agents of Edgewatch is almost done. They published their fourth book. And um, I can say that if I were to ever run this game, so a lot of people in March learned about Black Lives Matter due to George Floyd's death. This is something that has been very passionate with me for a long time due to friends, social exposure, things like that. There are things that in Agents of Edgewatch I would have never included. I just wouldn't have done it. Or we would have gone in with the idea of, okay, this is what's going on. The cops are essentially riot suppressors. And this is before, like, these were written before Mark. So, real interesting stuff. I think that, I think all of these are kind of related. I know it, it seems like I went on a ta tangent, but all of these are kind of related in that many people's eyes were opened up to things that have been happening for literal decades. We can't close our eyes now. If, if your eyes have finally been opened to the brutalities that have been happening and you don't think that it affects your D&D &D game, you're wrong. And we can't keep th saying that. So it'll be really interesting to see how Paizo furthers that. Here, now we have Watsi or Wizards, 
Watsy is something I think people have stopped calling them. Wizards of the Coast, owned by Hasbro. Okay, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, uh, that was something people said when I was in high school and college, but I don't think people really say that anymore. Uh, I, most people I just still, call them wizards. I still hear it. Yeah. See, it, it's a thing. Uh, but Hasbro, like, let's be real here. Um, everything is is owned by them. Uh, like, they are making these efforts, and I need Paizo to keep making those efforts as well. Be critical of the media you consume and want better. Anyway, that's my, I don't know, fun tangent. fact of the day? Yeah. Uh, let me just uh, set my soapbox aside. <laughs> Park your horse. <laughs> it's something I'm very passionate about. Uh, but anyway, what are we actually here for, y'all? To talk about kobolds. No? No? We're, no? Okay, investigator, I guess. Yeah, there um, you go. Do we have However, to? We, we do have to. Okay. And also, you should want to, because investigators are cool. They're cool, y'all. I'll believe it when I see it. Well, you're going to see it for the next yep. probably 45 minutes as I tell you how awesome they are. Uh, so, Investigator is my second favorite of these list of four that was in the <laughs> player's guide. It was wow. your first. Miles behind which, which but still number two. <laughs> which is literally, y'all, y'all, hot take. Literally, which is the best class in the game? Fight me. <laughs> I present Oracle. Meet me out back behind the Arby's. I will kick your butt. <laughs> Oracle is interesting, but that oh, uh, we we, talk, we did that last time. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> Chad. After our discussion last week, Chad went and made himself an Oracle. I did, and now I want to <laughs> play her so bad. I want to play my Oracle. <laughs> oh my gosh. Why you is Sunny still alive? No. <laughs> every single class. All right. Anyway, moving on. So before we get started, I do want to start with saying we're going to mix it up because usually we start with the fantasy of a class. We've done that um, since the beginning. However, investigator is a in my opinion, a special case. So today, where normally we would start with the fantasy of a class, we're going to start with Pathfinder 1. So a little more recent history. So the Investigator was originally released in the Advanced Class Guide. This was published in 2014, August. So that this was their Gen Con release. And that book, I remember when this came out, because I was literally there in 2014 at Gen Con when this book was released. I've only been to Gen Con, only, I say with quotes, because it's more than some people, uh, like six to eight times. But I stopped. (laughs) I stopped going. uh, Or not so humble brag. (laughs) Humble brag, sure. It just got too expensive. Um, But I actually used to volunteer with a group called Heroes of Rokugan, based out of Wichita. 
uh by the way great group of people if any of you play legend of the five rings look them up awesome awesome people uh but anyway i volunteered with them for a couple years and that was the only reason why i even went that many times uh i just it just got too expensive but anyway that is a total tangent i was there when this book released it was so awesome it was so exciting they literally and they still do this they have pallets of books they're just stacked <laughs> as tall as a person it's awesome but uh when this came out i felt like the investigator was a little overlooked i especially by me right like i was so much more excited about other classes specifically the slayer uh the slayer was also released in the advanced class guide and uh, it was a, a class that as soon as it's released in Pathfinder 2, it'll be the first thing we talk about that day. So, super hype. Um, the More investigator, hype Absolutely not. Nothing. <laughs> Literally nothing. I'm more happy about the witch coming to Pathfinder 2 than I probably was about getting married. Like, let's be real here. <laughs> <laughs> Come on! Sorry, Ryan. He ain't even in here. Normally, he, he's listening to us. Today, he's not even listening to us. Ryan knows what he got into. Oh, yeah, he definitely yeah. did. Uh, literally have a D20 tattooed on my arm. <laughs> All right. So when the investigator was released, it was meant to be, uh, as with everything in that book, it was meant to be a combo of two classes. So the same as Slayer... Uh, scald all of the classes that were released in this book. So the investigator was an alchemist and a rogue mixed together with this twist of, uh, you know, you're this character who is out to solve mysteries and find, uh, find criminals and things like that. Like there was this very intelligence based finder or searching it was, it was really cool um investigator if you will so you had access to alchemy and we're gonna uh see that again when we talk about pathfinder 2 uh they automatically got poison lore huh were they trying to tell us something back in 2014 conspiracy no hashtag paizo knew the whole time Oh, probably. Sure. Uh, <laughs> That's probably already out there, but whatever. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm cracking up. Anyway, um, it, it, when I first saw the po poison lore on here, I, I hadn't really made that thought process until, um, I don't know, like a week ago. And then it was like the Illuminati side mm -hmm. and like the, um, the music for that meme which I think comes from uh, X-Files, just played in my head, and I was like, oh, man. Anyway, uh, cracked me up. I, I, I make myself laugh a lot. Uh, we also have Poison Resistance, which is pretty standard. You got to see traps because you were part rogue, right? And then the cool thing about them, that early levels made them worse than rogues, but later levels, arguably better than rogues, they got something called studied combat. 
and studied strike. And trust me, those are going to come back up later. But essentially, Ooh. you would take an action, in this case, a standard action, because remember, Pathfinder 1, ha- you could have two actions, a move and a standard. Uh, and then you would get your half your investigator level as an insight bonus to attack that target that you have studied. So you're like, I've studied this target. I know their attack moves. I know their move set. Uh, and I'm going to attack them. And I get a bonus to do so. Uh, and then for studied strike, when you attack your studied target, you deal extra damage. And it essentially was sneak attack damage without having the form. That's pretty dang good. So, uh, you know, that started off as a D6, but then as you leveled up, uh, it would level up with you. So, like, at level 10, you were doing uh, plus 4D6 damage on your studied target. So, not bad. Not bad at all. And then uh, it was a half-caster class, so they did have access in 1st edition to spells. Now, when we talk about this later, they don't have that anymore. So they were they had al- access to alchemy and spellcasting? Yes, but so did alchemists, remember, okay. in Pathfinder 1. So that's where the spellcasting came from. Like, that was the whole thing with these hybrid classes, was, you know, they, they take two things from each class and kind of mush it together. And that was the original investigator. I, we, again, we don't normally talk about the Iconics too much. We did a little bit uh, last time with the Oracle. Uh, but I did want to mention Quinn uh, because he has a special place in my heart. So Quinn is the Iconic, still is, the Iconic for Investigator. And if memory serves me wrong or right, please correct me if I am wrong. He was the first uh, middle-aged character. So they had the wizard iconic, who I think was aged, but I don't. I think he was older than middle-aged. Um, I mean, he's pretty old. I think Ezrin is his name. Uh, but Quinn is also middle-aged, uh, and just really kind of cool. All of the tales that Quinn was in, just, I remember reading and just being like, this is, he's a cool dude. He just looks cool, dude. He has a sword cane. (laughs) Of course course you love him. Yeah, exactly. Like, Quinn's great. Uh, he, uh, yeah, and he, he stands up for injustice, and yeah, he's a cool dude. So I liked him, uh, so I wanted to mention him. So why did I decide to talk about Pathfinder 1 before we ever even talked about historical context? And that's because when we're talking about an investigator and historical context, it can kind of go a lot of different ways. But I think with how they released the class, what they were going for, now we have a better history of the class we can go into hysterical context that Paizo pulled from. And whenever I think of Quinn, whenever I think of the investigator, 
I always think of Penny Dreadfuls and old mystery books. So uh, Penny Dreadfuls were short uh, novels, short novelettes that you would pick up for a penny. That's why they were called that. Uh, that had mysteries and detective stories and things like that. Uh, I, whenever I think of the investigator, I always think of those. And, you know, obviously, we're going to talk about Sherlock Holmes because I think that is another really great historical, historical, literary uh, <laughs> example of this, right? Especially the studied target. I always think back to the movies with Robert Downey Jr., where they have everything play out in mm. his mind beforehand. When I think of the investigator, I specifically think of those scenes in those movies. No, I, so. I, I agree that when I read that, the, the first thing I thought about is an early scene in the first movie where he's at like that boxing match. Mm-hmm. Dislocate Absolutely. the jaw. Break the jaw. <laughs> plays out in slow motion of how he thinks it'll go and then he actually does the thing and I'm like oh no he actually did it well all right he's cool mm-hmm. yeah it's uh yeah it, it's just what i what i associate most with the investigator but cooler because quinn is cooler than robert downey jr and that's saying something you guys need to look up quinn he's great Sword cane versus Iron Man suit? I don't know. Hey, 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 hey. We're not talking <laughs> Iron Man here. We're That's Robert Downey Jr. How dare you? You can't pull in every single... Okay, I'm gonna pull in Dr. Doolittle then. Really? Because Quinn's way okay, better than that. that. I'll give you that. You, you can pull in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and then team up with Val Kilmer. All right, David got us. <laughs> Bravo, sir. <laughs> All right. Well, any other historical input that you guys want to think of? I just, I cannot get past Sherlock Holmes. I can't. No, because that's like the big iconic. Yeah, it, it, it's not historical. It's, it's media again, but it, it reminds me of Psych. Which... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything uh, reminds me of <laughs> That tracks. Okay. Uh, so for those who have, haven't have watched the show, uh, this guy essentially gets... Uh, he, he, he's like trained by his father, who's a, a, police, a police detective from a young age, to like pick up on subtle clues. Uh, and then it kind of turns Basically against him. Basically have an eidetic memory. Of sorts. Yeah, sort of. Sort of. I mean, it, it, and and also it's a lot of, again, like the, the part where Sherlock Holmes is going through a whole situation in his head. Um, but he'll, he'll pick up on little things just like walking into a room, like how somebody's ball cap is positioned, and it means something, whatever. Uh, but then he's caught and then has to basically pretend that he's caught up in something and has to pretend that he is a psychic to explain away how he knew <laughs> these certain details of a crime just by watching like something on the news. Uh, and then 
insert eight seasons of uh, pop-up psychic detective agency with his with his uh, do-good buddy Burton Guster. Is this going to be your next character? Uh, ooh, I'd have I I would have to spend some time on that one. <laughs> Honestly, I think this is just going to become a media podcast with you and Sarah talking about uh, Psych and One Piece. One Piece, yeah. Except it's going to be me talking about Psych and Sarah not knowing what I'm talking about, and Sarah talking about One Piece, and I'm also I'm also not going to know what she's talking about. So. Absolutely, yeah, one hundred percent. I would listen to that podcast. Me and just Beth just it. nodding our heads at this in the background uh-huh. of the podcast. Uh-huh. We can't hear it. <laughs> is this podcast or is this real life? Because right now I don't know. <laughs> Oof, that's that's a mood. Anyway. Uh, let's get into Pathfinder 2 Investigator, because I am going to give a couple of callbacks out to the Swashbuckler. When we talked about the Swashbuckler, I had mentioned that they have, like, a lot of abilities that are intrinsic to them, while a lot of other classes in Pathfinder 2 rely on feats. Investigator does both. hey because they've got a lot of cool abilities that are um, unique to their class, but also they have some of literally the best-named feats in the game. <laughs> but I'm getting ahead of myself. So, when you're talking about an investigator, you are obviously talking about somebody who is tracking down mysteries and clues and investigating some sort of secret. So the thing that kind of sums up the investigator in my mind was actually the section titled Others Probably. And we've never really talked about this, not never, but we haven't talked about this section too much on the other episodes, but it was so perfect because uh, there are three lines in the section. Uh, The first one is that they find the information you spout helpful. Great. Awesome. The second one is fantastic. Others probably get annoyed that you're such a know-it-all. Well, all of a sudden, I realized that I was an investigator and didn't even know it. Uh, <laughs> them and the wizard get along. Yeah. <laughs> you're not wrong. Uh, so, obviously, they're going to be experts in perception. Duh. Really? Like, yeah. Uh, automatically, they get society as a skill, and I was like, yeah, that tracks. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Uh, They are an intelligence-based class. Again, pretty obvious. Uh, They don't have, like, super low HP, though. So I thought that was nice. They get 8 plus con mod. So not as bad as the wizard, which I believe is 6 plus con. Yep. Yeah, so. But we don't get access to spells. But still, not too bad. So. The thing that can that is their shtick, right? Every class has their shtick. Their shtick is methodology. And in the advanced player's guide, there are four base methodologies. So you get to pick how your studies have sort of guided your interests. You have alchemical sciences. Sorry. Uh, they, so they have four methodologies, alchemical sciences, empiricism, 
forensic medicine, which is great, and interrogation. So what is the focus of your class going to be, right? So alchemical sciences, there's your, right, your guide back to alchemy that we mm -hmm. talked about first uh, edition. I told you, I had to talk about first edition first. It just wasn't going to make sense otherwise. Uh, and they get an ability called quink t Quick Tincture. So if you want to be half alchemist, but don't want to take a dedication, play a investigator. Uh, empiricism. So that's everything is calculated. And uh, you have to use your reasoning. So that's truly your Sherlock Holmes. They automatically get access to the That's Odd uh, investigator feat, which is just freaking great. Uh, so they, they also get this uh, neat expeditious inspection free action, which mm -hmm. is just they can recall knowledge, recall knowledge, seek, or sense motive as a free action once every 10 minutes. So once every 10 minutes, they can just throw some fact at you that you probably don't care about. I will say one of the things that has been hard for me as a GM is recall knowledge taking an action. I get it. I absolutely understand, but it's rough, right? Like you, you want your players to be able to know what they're fighting. Mm -hmm. This helps with that for sure. But if you've house ruled that recall knowledge doesn't take an action, that nerfs this ability into the ground. So just, this is one of those times where, like, some of your house rules might impact a class, uh, and you may have to change the abilities just because of your house rules. So, food for thought. Um, I'm pretty partial to forensic medicine. They don't get an, a special action. They're the only ones who don't. That's because they get two feats. They get battle medicine. And their battle medicine is actually uh, better because you become temporarily immune for an hour instead of a day. Hmm. So you can battle medicine once an hour. And then uh, they get forensic acumen. So you understand how people died and you can recall knowledge to describe crime scenes and shit. It's pretty great. Like I'm into it. Uh, and then interrogation, you get an ability called pointed question, which is pretty awesome. So yeah, pretty cool shtick. If I must say so myself. Hmm. So let's get into things that everybody got access to. So after you've picked your methodology, you also get a strategic strike. Remember, I mentioned that already. Mm -hmm. So when you make a strike that adds your intelligence modifier to your attack roll, which... There's another ability that allows you to do that. You deal precision damage. So earlier we had where you had to study your target. 
uh, now we have devise a stratagem, which takes a single action. Now, the action economy from Pathfinder 1 to Pathfinder 2 is different, so it's not quite as debilitating as it was in 1st edition. 1st edition, if you had to spend your standard action, that's a round. You have to do a whole round to do something. Well, this is just a single action. So you devise a stratagem as your first action. Now your second action, you can still attack. So it's pretty great. So devise a stratagem, you assess weaknesses, and you add your intelligence modifier to your attack roll instead of your dex or strength. Uh, it has to be an agile or finesse weapon to do so. Which sword canes are. Just FYI. And and this is it's got another thing that's super interesting. Um, you actually roll your D twenty when you devise a stratagem, and then the next time you strike during that round, you have to use the result of that first roll. Mm -hmm. So you kind of know the result to some extent of it Correct. before you even attempt to do it. So you may roll real low and just play it off like, mm, nope, nope, they're too on guard. I'm gonna, I don't know, throw some sand in their eye or something. Right. Do something else and then use that as your third action. Uh, or maybe move into a flanking position so that their yeah. AC is lower. So if you know your attack roll is low, let's see if I can lower their AC somehow. Yeah, absolutely. That is very a very cool thing. So then when you use your intelligence modifier because of strategic strike, you get to add precision. Uh, then you have on the case, which will also give a bonus to stratagem. We'll talk about that. So. Uh, as an investigator, uh, you can you get two abilities, uh, an activity and a reaction when you investigate cases. Pursue a lead and clue in. Now, clue in is pretty cool because essentially it's reaction to help another player. You share information with a creature that is a attempting to investigate a lead you are pursuing. So pursuing a lead is you spend a man minute examining details of a potential clue regarding some sort of mystery or secret. You can have uh, two active investigations at a time. So one of the examples, um, this is definitely something you're going to want to work with your GM on. Uh, finding a footprint is enough to investigate the creature that left it. And seeing a hasty sketch of an item is enough to start your investigation of that subject. So a small clue, and now all of a sudden, you're following the leads in your GM's case. And then you can clue in other players. All right, so we've got on the case, you've per you're pursuing a lead. This allows you to devise a stratagem as a free action instead of taking an action to do so. And then you get your plus one D6 to damage. Precision damage, specifically. So there's our rogue influence again with that precision damage. See how everything's coming together? <laughs> no. 
No? Let me go over no, it again. Don't do it. Okay. <laughs> no, it's really, like, it looks complicated because everything kind of ties together. But that's the thing about the investigator, man. Everything ties together. Illuminati conspiracy. Point? Yes. Wait, Absolutely. it's all coming back around. Oh god. <laughs> it, it it's Charlie with all the strings on the wall. Thinking. Oh yeah. So they also get a few things that are pretty cool. So at level three, you get keen recollect uh, recollection. Which, instead of untrained skills uh, getting a plus zero, you get to add your level to them. Now, you don't get a proficiency bonus, but you roll with your level. And uh, later, at level 11, you get deductive improvision, where even skills that say you have to be trained in it to roll it, you don't have to be. Now you essentially can roll any lore check. You're just like, oh yeah, I know that. Which bards kind of get a similar thing, but still, pretty fun. Can know-it-alls. Exactly. Uh, humans get a, get a thing for that, too. I, I know I took that with Nigel. I'm not shocked that Nigel would want to know everything. <laughs> and then... As their capstone ability, because of course it is, they get Master Detective. As a Master Detective, you can solve any case and find all the clues available. If you're pursuing the subject of a lead and you enter a location that includes another clue, the GM informs you of its existence. So. This is where I kind of want to talk about, uh, oh, also your proficiency in your class DC is master, but everybody gets that, level 19. I, I kind of want to talk about why maybe some GMs would be hesitant to let a player pick the investigator, right? Because a lot of these, it, it actually... In the entirety of the investigator section, it mentions the GM seven times. Like, this is definitely a class that you're constantly asking the GM for more information. My counter-argument to that would be, well, classes are doing that anyway. Your bards are going to be doing that anyway. Your rogues are going to be doing that. Your wizards, who are annoying know-it-alls, are going to be doing that anyway. <laughs> Can I roll architecture lore on that one? Oh my... <laughs> <laughs> if you roll ar architecture lore, and you ever get, like, a critical success, I swear I'm going to give you, like, some random shit information that's going to come up to, like, all the way level 20. Alright, anyway. But yeah, like... This definitely seems like a class that relies heavily on the a GM. And I know that some GMs might feel intimidated by that. And I would say, don't. The entire thing about coming to the table and playing these games is telling a story together. And an investigator, honestly, can be one of the ways to keep your players on the fucking rails. 
Let me say that again so you don't have to edit that out. Uh, keep your players on the rails. Like, just look at the investigator as what it is. A blessing in disguise and a wonderful class full of puns. I think the investigator fits in real well with book one of Age of Ashes. They they just oh, want absolutely. Yeah, they just wander into town after somebody tried to burn down the <laughs> whatever that building was and, and that I mean I think- honest, honestly you kinda I, I felt like at some point I was wondering why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. Why are we going from point to point? But if you had this guy who's like, hmm, okay, I see there was this note over here, and oh, there's I saw this person running off towards the, the booksellers. Whatever. No, absolutely. Yeah, I 100% am on board with the investigator kind of driving that. That being said, you also don't want your investigator to take up too much of the show. But that is a balance that all GMs have to kind of make. So. Yep. Which I try to do by, like, calling on different people at different times. And it works out well for our group. Sometimes you have to take a more active approach. Mm-hmm. That's a, diff- a different discussion for a different day. Uh, let's go into the feats for Investigator. Because they're literally the best. I thought the witches were the best. Like, and they still are, right? Because the witch is the best class. Um, yeah, yeah. But the names on some of these, like we talked about in the Swashbuckler episode, how there was a, shall we say, theme with the Swashbuckler's feats. There definitely is a theme with the investigators. Uh, in- investigator's feats, and it's definitely more kid-friendly. So we already talked about that's odd, right? Because that's odd is literally the name of the feat. As you enter a new location, you immediately notice one thing out of the ordinary. It's just exposition. Here, you want exposition on a plate? Here's a couple feats for it. Uh, You have red herring. Because, of course, you have a feat that would be like... Of course. Is this inconsequential? Yes? We're going down the wrong path? Excellent! Or or maybe you're multi-classing into a fisherman. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this adventuring life isn't for me anymore. Time to go fishing. Absolutely not. You investigate fish crimes. It was Aquaman the whole time. You know what? I I would play that game. Uh, Investigating fish crimes. Alright, so next I wanted to talk about the level 8 feat, whodunit. It's literally a feat with a question mark in the name of it, and that's just (laughs) great. (laughs) It's just so great. Oh my gosh. So uh, you get to ask the GM a bunch of questions. It honestly reminds me of some other narrative games like um, Monster of the Week. Mm -hmm, It definitely reminded me of that. It's like, uh, was this clue left within the last hour? Was this left by a specific type of creature trait? 
was this left uh, uh, or w- was the creature that left the clue in a heightened emotional state <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just fantastic i will say with this v it is uncommon uh so you have to ask your gm uh to take it uh, as a gm i would let literally anybody take <laughs> a who done it feat it's so great um, and it is only once per day that you can use it. You would let us use it more. Probably. It's just great. <laughs> it's just a great feat. And then uh, the last one I wanted to mention was just the facts. Level 20 feet. You fundamentally understand everything. To the For point sure. where... You- <laughs> Where your research cannot possibly be wrong. <laughs> You're literally a know-it-all. Uh, of course. Uh, you are permanently <clears throat> You're permanently quickened, and you can use an extra action to recall knowledge. Never going to cost you an action again. They are no longer secret checks, which we don't do a lot of recall knowledge secret checks anyway. Um, but a lot of people do. And again, another way that a home rule affects a class. So just be aware of that. Uh, and your outcome is always one degree better. So literally, you just know everything, guys. I want to combine this with that dubious knowledge feat. Like, like, <laughs> n- not, not the level 20, because that kind of defeats the purpose, but just the whole investigator class. Yeah, actually, the dubious knowledge, it is mentioned in this feat. Suddenly lead everybody down the wrong trail. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So when you recall knowledge, you use the outcome one degree better. uh, And if an effect such as dubious knowledge would give you inaccurate information, you know which information is inaccurate. But yeah, so essentially you can take dubious knowledge uh, and this mitigates it at level 20. Like we're talking really late level here. At that point, yeah. the GM's so tired of coming up with random facts. That, uh... You're not wrong. By level 20, like the investigator and the GM have a private text chat that nobody else can read. <laughs> like, let's be real here. Uh, what what feats uh, really pulled it out for you guys? Uh, I liked a level 16 feat called Reconstruct the Scene. Uh, again, call back to Psych here. Uh, you spend one minute surveying a location and get an impression of the events that occurred there in the last day. So you just you, you, you go into a you know, little open area in a town or like a tavern or whatever and you just start looking at there's some dust on the floor over here. There's some peanut shelves th- thrown on the floor. Oh, there's a broken glass over there. And you start piecing together some kind of argument that the bartender had with somebody earlier in the day. That's fantastic. It was Fred. Fred killed them. He's the only one who can eat peanuts. <laughs> it couldn't have been Jerry. He's allergic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Chad, you got any that you want to call out? 
I don't actually. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I just like I'm the first line of everyone's a suspect. You are so suspicious of everyone that you meet that you keep mentally notes on how to defeat them, even your own allies. They all sus. <laughs> even your allies are sus. I like it. Well, that leads us straight into Ancestries. And like we say almost every time, any ancestry uh, you can make work and have a really fun story. But I think there are some ancestries that are going to fit better. So, again, anything that is going to have a penalty uh, to intelligence is going to be not great. Uh, anything that has a, a bonus to intelligence is going to be better. Do you hear that? I, I, I hear a voice off in the distance screaming, Goblin, Goblin, Goblin. Oh, is that Sarah? I think so. <laughs> That's probably fair. Goblins are not bad. They're not great. But they're not bad. So they have bonuses to charisma and dexterity, which charisma... This is a class that's going to, like, benefit from having kind of higher stats all over the board. Uh, So Dexterity is going to help your AC, because you only ever get uh, light um, armor proficiency, like, without taking uh, dedications or anything. Um... So the dexterity is going to come in hand. Charisma is going to help your diplomacy checks to convince your crazy wizard that he's wrong. <laughs> um, but the the ability flaw to wisdom, not going to lie, that's pretty bad. Especially with the fact that perception is going to be your number one used ability. Uh, but you know what? That's already buffed up by your perception skills, so you know, who cares? That is true. Uh, I, I, you I would take a minor hit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to mention another class that uh, has kind of the the same stat bonuses as the goblin. So dexterity and charisma, you get bonuses, but ability, flaw, and wisdom. And that's the catful. Uh, just because having a catfolk investigator who then dies later in the adventure, and you can say curiosity killed the cat, is literally <laughs> the best thing ever. And then they come back and still have eight lives to go. Right, exactly. I love it. Uh, uh, what, what other ancestries do we want to... Uh, humans. Really? Yeah. I definitely agree. No, it's not. You know, nobody mentioned humans during Swashbuckler. But you weren't there. And and that and that hurt a little. I'm not gonna lie. I thought I did Oh sorry. No. Anyway. Absolutely. Humans Yeah. Definitely especially with that uh which one which one is the a heritage, or, or yeah, the what am, I, what am I trying to say? The heritage that has the skilled, skilled heritage. Oh, it yeah, gives you more skills. 
Like mm-hmm. that's going to be great. Obviously, versatile heritage is always going to come up great. Mm-hmm. Um, that extra, extra feet. Yeah, yeah. So uh, honestly, I was going to say humans are one of the best ones for investigator. Right, and, and then that's what the iconic is too. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely. And then I finally wanted to mention, and I know this is going to open up a whole can of worms I really don't want to deal with, but I feel like I have to mention the gnome. She did it. You you mean that with the little corncob pipe and a bowler hat? A a shortened sword cane, because they are gnome and they're they're a little bit shorter than... Sherlock, Sherlock gnomes. Sherlock gnomes would have to one be a gnome, and two, I think would make a, a very good investigator. Sherlock she gnomes younger sister Enola gnomes. <clears throat> Honestly, don't we know if that's a sister or not. Getting into it. it, and yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> we are not going to talk about it. I have opinions. Wait, Enola gnomes and Noma gnomes. Oh. Holy moly, peaked. that was terrible. <laughs> Never again. You you have your your talking privileges have been revoked. I'm gonna mute you on this call. So I was actually going to also suggest for an ancestry. Uh lizard folk. And the, mostly the reason for it is the frills. So that whenever you go to finally reveal the big bad of the mystery, <laughs> you can just stick that frill out there and get the attention of everyone in the room. <laughs> Boom. You know what? I'm here for it. That would be right? super awesome. <laughs> and like that scene in Jurassic Park, only instead of being attacked, you're like, I know who <laughs> did it. And everybody just runs afraid of you. Absolutely love it. <laughs> love it. Ugh. I I love the investigator guys. It's yeah. great. It's got a theme. It sticks really close to that theme. Uh the feats are well named. So many puns. It's just fun. It's just fun. All all four of these classes that we've reviewed out of this book, I really do think they did a good job. Was I a fan of the Oracle? Meh, not really. But honestly, they did. You, <laughs> I, I do think they did a really good job, and the the fantasy of each of the classes has done really well. This one especially, but honestly, all of them are just really good. Um, I am giving the investigator a nine out of ten. Beth, which had eleven out of ten, just for reference. Okay. Which is literally the best one. <laughs> Change my mind. Fight me at Arby's. Like, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Why at Arby's? It's just the place where everybody fights. Okay. Gosh, Chad, get, get with the times. Know. I have to go fight more people. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Gosh, that's so funny. Uh, also, not sponsored by Arby's. <laughs> Fighting, not sponsored by Arby's. Not not sponsored. We just have to put it out there. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I want to end this episode with uh, a happy thing. 
just because I feel like the more happy we put in the world, the better we are as people. So I wanted to ask each of you what your favorite thing this month has been. Uh, it is the month of spooks and scares. By the time this episode comes out, uh, it will probably be voting day. Uh, so get out there and vote, y'all. Mm-hmm. Uh, early voting has started, I think, in all states now. If you're not registered or unable to vote, I understand. And uh, take care of yourself Tuesday. Just going to say that. The day that this, or whatever day this releases, any day, just take care of yourself. Uh, but for this month of October, I did want to uh, share something that I've been really enjoying. And it was something that shocked me, honestly. Uh and it is a uh, album by Taylor Swift. I, I see that face, mm. Chad. I'll be honest. Mm. Uh, not usually someone I listen to a lot. Um, mm -hmm. 1989 was a good album. Uh, I know a lot of people liked Red. Uh, not my favorite. Um, I, I listen to a lot of music. Uh, of a lot of different types. But... Uh, her newest album is Folklore. And honestly, very good. Like, I would say 8 out of, out of 10 Beth. A very good album. Definitely worth the read. Or, read? What? Listen. Uh, especially if you like kind of haunting music, I would listen to the song Exile. It is literally the best on the album. Uh, it features a indie artist uh, group called Bon Iver. Very good. Whoa, 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 whoa! Okay, we have to we have to make sure we do not anger another subgroup of people. What? It's Bony Bear. Bony Bear. Yes. Are it, you serious? It is Bone E Bear. Oh. I apologize. Are you? Are you, you are being dying serious? over there. Are you okay? I am. I am being one hundred percent serious. I'm just let's let's just head that uh, off right now. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, the singer that she duets with on that song is phenomenal. That song alone, ten out of ten. Just so good. A uh, best song. On so the many album. Beth points. So many Beth points. Like all the Beth points. So yeah, that's I've been listening to that album pretty much every day, at least once. The entire album. Uh, what about you guys, Chad? What uh, what's your favorite thing in this spoopy month of October? Two, and they're both video game related. Uh, I've been playing the Baldur's Gate three early access on Stadia. How are you enjoying it? I love it so much. Good. I've made so many tieflings and drows, and it's so great. It's beautiful. It's also really stupid at times, and I love it for being really stupid. Uh, but that's because it's early access. Super glitchy. That's fine. Uh, the other thing I've been loving is uh, watching Let's Plays on YouTube of Phasmophobia. It's a ghost hunting video game. Yeah. 
And so people, you go to some house. It's completely empty, dark. You turn on lights. You set stuff down. You talk to spirit boxes, and spirits talk back to you, and they hunt you. And <laughs> it's fantastic to watch love- these people lose their minds. Yeah. I love that you can take insurance out on people so that when they die, you still get money at the end. <laughs> yeah. Is, is this just like Sims? Like you just set them up and let them go? Or. Well, no, because no, you do it yourself. It's okay. a multiplayer game yeah. where you're controlling one person. Okay. And the kind of the one of the gimmicks for the game is that uh, you have to use voice in chat, and you can only hear people when they're physically close to you in the game. Like your oh. your t- your taught your audio gets quieter the further away your characters are. It's really funny. <laughs> And uh, you do have walkie-talkies once you can afford them, I think. But uh, yeah, yeah it, it's it's a pretty fun game. Uh, and it's it's hilarious when you it. are far enough away and you start like walking closer to another character, and you suddenly just hear screaming, getting louder and louder as you're getting closer. You're like, oh, oh, they're dead. Okay, let's get out of here. Let's go. Okay, he's dead. So you can afford those walkie-talkies once the Travel Channel's picked up your show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like, so like, if you guess what kind of ghost it is, you get more money. Stuff like that. Typically, you get like somewhere around seventy dollars, and your yeah. life is at risk. <laughs> yeah. Serious risk. I went into this haunted house, almost died. I got seventy bucks though. Woo. Yeah. Yeah, Chad's absolutely right. It does, and it cracks me up every time when they're like, "Oh, we got twenty bucks off that one." <laughs> like, oh, jeez. I can uh, afford a flashlight now. Holy yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. David, what about you? Uh, well, this plays right into the whole uh, investigator uh, discussion. Me and uh, my wife and my daughter. We've all been playing Among Us, which oh is, ju- it's just, it's all the rage, you know, mm. among, among the youths these days. Uh, but, I, I mean, it's like the last two or three nights, uh, you know, we just sit for like an hour before the ki- before all the kids have to go to bed. And uh, we'll, we'll all join the same lobby and we're all playing together. And even, even, um, my son, who's who's younger, he he doesn't like being, you know, having to run around like not die or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's a mode where you just run around the ship and fix stuff. So he's playing on his, just goofing <laughs> off, and the three of us are playing in the server. We don't cheat though. That's adorable. All right, we have we have values. We don't cheat. I didn't throw my daughter under under the bus the other night to win though. <laughs> Were you an imposter? Totally. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, actually, I have also been playing Among Us with my family. Um, only my husband and I are live together. And we've been playing with my older sister, my younger sister, uh, my nephew, my niece, uh, sometimes my other niece and her boyfriend will join in. Like, we'll have a full lobby that's just family. Nice. And it has been a really nice way to, like, keep in touch, even though... You know, they're six hours away, and I haven't visited them since August. So. And it doesn't sound like we're we're going to go for the holidays. So I know a lot of people are in the same boat where they're not traveling this holiday season. 
you know, instead of a Zoom call, uh, play Among Us and kill your family, guys. Hmm. It's it's very cathartic. (laughs) (laughs) I will say it is very fun. As long as you don't take it too seriously, you can play for literal hours and just have a blast. Like, it's just really fun. So I'm really glad. Um, I I do have a quick question. Uh, In an Among Us game, who who would be the most sus out of uh, our party? I'm thinking Firethorn would be the obvious choice. But yeah, Sunny. I don't think I could lie. <laughs> like, actually, I don't even think Sunny. If we're talking about Sunny, Sunny wouldn't be able to kill anybody if he was the imposter. But that's how you. So win. you guys would just win. <laughs> that's so funny. He he would out himself as the imposter the first yep. meeting. Just go right up to that emergency call button. Boom, guys, I'm the imposter. I, I just want you all to make it home safely. <laughs> don't don't rush. Don't stampede. I, I just I just want you guys to finish your task. Give me no no running with scissors. Okay, <laughs> none of it. Sunny has a problem. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, I think that's it, guys. Chad, you want to take us out? I do not. But what the hell. hey that's the investigator folks let us know about some character ideas you have for an investigator tell us all about the mysteries you think your character will be solving but most of all tell us all about how you're going to roll up your very own sherlock gnomes we'll talk to you all again later until next time dice don't die but play your characters do Thanks for listening to Dice Don't Die. Hey, if you like what we do, please visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dice Don't Die. Or email us at DiceDon'tDiePod at gmail.com. The intro and outro song, Crunk Night, were created by Kevin McLeod. More of his work, and the work of many others, can be found royalty-free at filmmusic.io. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next adventure.